And I am going to challenge you to an eating contest one of these days. I'll bring cheesecake. Bring it on. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring a hundred things of cheesecake. Perfect. And we'll just we'll just pig <laughs> out until someone pukes. First one to puke loses. That hey, that's a deal. You going down? Fish stories. Fish stories. Fish stories. Sharing fish stories is best when you when you have somebody who has been there and been there with you. Fish stories. We'll start off. It's uh it's September eighteenth, twenty nineteen. It's my mom's birthday today, actually. Birthday. To my mom. <laughs> I did text her this morning, so, <laughs> uh, and I'm talking to Christine Fisher. She has a name for fishing, some and would that, yeah. some would say that. You can. You want to introduce yourself? Tell me where you're from, and and tell me what you do. Um, yeah, I was born and raised in a small town um, in eastern Nebraska called Weeping Water. Um, I was born into an outdoors-oriented family, so I guess you could say that my parents fostered the love of the outdoors uh, from a young age. Um, I've worked in the outdoors industry for quite a while. Um, I uh, did that for several years in my early 20s and decided to quit that, start my own business, which then led to you know freelance writing, content creating, and then uh, eventually kayak bass fishing on the the national level which I've been doing now for two years and that's I guess that's kind of you could you could say that I'm a professional kayak angler now we'll call it talk about your childhood a little bit did you have siblings at all growing up yeah I had one younger brother he's two years younger than me um we are polar opposites I am kind of the uh, the outgoing um things came a little more naturally for me I think growing up and my brother is slightly introverted uh he's got a very dry sense of humor but he's wonderful like i'm pretty blessed i've got a great family um we do all kinds of things together we grew up traveling um fishing we did fishing family tournaments uh which my brother and grandpa actually did really well in the governor's cup which is a pretty popular walleye tournament uh, at harlan county reservoir um but yeah that's a outdoors oriented family you do a lot together family is very important to me and so I try to make it back to Nebraska as often as I can. What are some of the qualities that your family had that made you so outdoor-oriented? I learned today that television wasn't a big part of your family's it was a, life. Yeah, uh, television was non-existent, actually. We, we did not have a TV in my home. Um, I, we didn't have video games. We didn't have any of that. And... Uh, I didn't really, you know, realize the the effect that TV has on people until I kind of, you know, you get to school and kids always talk about what shows are going on and they, they go home right after, after school and watch hours and hours of whatever television show was popular at the time. Um, my brother and I didn't have that. So we, you know, we quite literally were raised outdoors. That's That was our, our alternative. In a small town, there wasn't a lot to do. Um, we lived right in the edge of town. We had a we had a couple of city lakes next to us, and the Weeping Water Creek. I call it Creek. Uh, the woods were right there, so we 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 literally spent all of our time outside. And the the street lights would come on, and that was our indicator that it was time to come home. 
So I've never had a TV since since then. I've, I've never bought a television. I haven't had one in my in college. I haven't had one in my adulthood. And I hopefully um, I never will. I don't plan on that being a part of my life. So I think you're I can honestly say that you're, I think you're the first person I've ever met who's never had a television. I don't know. Maybe, do you know other people that are like that? Um, I met one person. I did a I did a little solo backpacking trip to Big Sky, Montana. I was fishing the Gallatin River. Came across one other person, um, an older gentleman, and we had a we struck up a conversation as we were fly fishing. Um, and he, so I don't remember what brought that up, but uh, I made that comment, and he said, "I've also never, even since childhood, had a television." And I said, "Wow, it's the one person I've ever met that's never ever owned a TV." Uh, yeah, you don't you don't find it very often, unfortunately. Do you think that television is causing a lot of the issues with the outdoor industry in terms of declining outdoor enthusiasts, the declining number of outdoor enthusiasts, or do, do you think it's something different? I think it definitely plays a part. Um, let's just call it digital, digital any platforms, whether that be you know, social media is just as unfortunately it plays just a, as much of a negative role in that as anything else um you know one thing i notice is when i do make it back home you don't see kids outside like you used to um you know the parks aren't occupied if you go to airports shopping malls restaurants uh it, it seems like the vast majority of these people kids especially are on their phones faces just buried in screens and that that is something that's really hard um to combat i think with the the changing times and it's really sad because it seems like, you know, to try to inspire people and have this platform where you're trying to encourage those to get outdoors, they see you on social media and all these different platforms, but it's tough to to have that organic type of inspiration level. Does that make sense? It's kind of a double-edged sword. I mean, you want people to get away from the screens, but at the same time, you're trying to inspire them through that medium. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that's something that I've kind of battled for my, the years of being on social medias. And I've been I've been you know asked to do a couple of television shows here and there. And I thought that was almost like ironic. I've never had a, a TV, but yet people say you should have a TV show and do this. And I, I don't think that I could probably ever do that. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's a, it's definitely I think it's a huge societal issue that we face. Um, I hope to see that changing. I don't know if it is reversible with with how fast things are moving, but I hope that you know through the platforms that I have and you know the the, the programs I'm involved with and getting kids outdoors and into fishing, I hope that we can kind of slow things down and reintroduce people to the outdoors as I knew it as a kid. You know, and just that the the, the pure level of enjoyment and connection that you get with that type of uh, passion for the art, the outdoors. So talk about your talk about your mediums and how you use those to inspire people to get outside and and talk about your audience and if there's a specific audience you have that you're really working you're really passionate about inspiring. Um, so I am fairly active on Instagram. Uh, I, I started that initially to share my writing um, more than anything. I writing was my creative outlet. I have a blog which is Fisher Outdoors. I just started a YouTube mostly to, to do my tournament recaps, which I've, has been a lot of fun for me to do. Um, I, I think initially I, I was just trying to reach anybody I could that, that would listen and that, you know, I, I may be able to inspire just to, to look at life a little differently. You know, we all, whether that be spending more time taking your, you know, take your dad out fishing, how, how important family is and how time is an invaluable resource. 
Um, I think it's kind of gravitated to, as my tournament success has been uh, you know, increasing the last few years, I think encouraging women to get into the sport and to, uh, to go out and do this thing on their own and just, you know, have the courage and not be, not be scared of failing at this thing, I think has been kind of a big push for me to try to redefine how the, the female angler stereotype has been written and, you know, for decades prior to this. You are now a competitive tournament angler, a very competitive kayak angler. What were your feelings, whether it be trepidation, fear, anxiety? Did you have those as you were kind of going up those ranks? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there were definitely some trepidations before going into like, you know, a large tournament. You know, I you always feel for me, I felt like, well, shoot, people are going to really pay attention because I'm the only female here and they're going to, if I fail, everyone's going to notice. Now, whether that's true or not, I'm not sure. I think I put a lot of unnecessary pressure on myself, but you want so badly to, to make an impact. And, um, sometimes you allow that pressure to type of, or that type of pressure to kind of weigh on you a little bit. And I've dealt, I've learned that the, the mental game in this is almost more important than your natural ability and talent. Um, and, that's the one thing that holds a lot of people back is the fear of failure. When in fact, failure is obviously with anything, that's how we grow and how we learn, how we overcome that. So I think that was a big, you know, a very helpful turning point, but it, it did take a few years for me to master that. <laughs> and I'm still working on it, honestly. <laughs> so talk about, I mentioned your progression, but we don't really know exactly what that progression was. Talk about how, how you progressed through. So you started working in retail or was it a, a retailer, an outdoor retailer, and working up the food chain in that regard, and then just deciding you wanted to take control a little bit more and have more control over your life. So can you just walk me through the steps yeah. of where you went from one po point A and then ultimately how you got into competitive kayak angling, how that came to, pr to, came to fruition? Absolutely. Um, so I worked at a, I was the hunting manager at a um, large box retailer. Um, I worked in hard goods and sales there. And that's actually, uh, while working there, it's when I actually entered my first kayak fishing tournament on the local level, which is really neat. I saw someone brought a flyer into the shop, and uh, I bought my, my first kayak, a used $800 fishing kayak, and I took third uh, out of like 50 people in a local deal, which I, I was kind of hooked from there. It was really exciting for me. I didn't know anybody, um, but I quickly became kind of part of that, that tight-knit family of kayak anglers in, in my local uh, club back home in Nebraska. Um, if I think about a few months later, I had, and I had had this on my mind for a while that, you know, the corporate life just, I wasn't really wired for that. I'm going to, I belong to an entire family of entrepreneurs. So I just wasn't necessarily wired for that. Uh, I ended up kind of phasing that out, went part-time, uh, started my own business, um, where I did some riding and some guiding on the side. I taught Pilates was what I, what I did for, I did that for another five years, um, and with Pilates allowed me the ability to travel and I started um, qualifying for these national tournaments um, and I had the ability and the time to do that with being self-employed and about a few years after doing that and having some success and deciding that if I you know really want to make waves and shake up this industry this is something I want to do full-time this is where my passion is um, the, the fishing industry in particular is where I want to be where I see myself and I kind of phased out that part of my life and just this last September I'm full-time on the road now fishing and bass tournaments on the road. So were you you kind of nonchalantly just said oh yeah I just got into the kayak tournament angling scene 
Were you openly, were you accepted with open arms into that family? You know, su- surprisingly, I've heard, you know, with other, uh, other entities, it's, it's not this, this way, but yes, absolutely. Yes. With the kayak guys, I, I literally ganged 2000, 5,000 big brothers, you know, grandpa's extra dads. I mean, this, they, these men and, and you know, there, there are a few women on the, that, that do this too on the national level. It's a huge family. The community is unparalleled. Um, never once was I treated with disrespect from anybody. And, you know, the guys, when I, I've had my successes and my tournament wins this year, they're my biggest fans. They're rooting for me. My phone blows up. The kayak community and the, the forums, they share it everywhere. And it just, they are so excited for me because they, they've gone to, gotten to know me personally and how hard I've worked and how, how much this means to me and to, to, for the industry in general. And um, I'm, I'm extremely fortunate to be part of the kayak fishing community. Um, it's, I, words will not be able to do any justice to the amount of support that I've received and how kind and generous everybody that I've encountered is in that family. There's, I'm sure there's a lot of people that have helped you along the way, but can you, can you mention some, some people specifically who have maybe mentored you from, from day one and people that you really appreciate the, the insight and, and assistance they've given you? Absolutely. Um, just back home in Nebraska, uh, the Workman Brothers, Marty Hughes. Marty is um, was probably one of the most impactful people in my life while I was back in Nebraska for a long time. Um, then on the, the national scene, as I got to, to get to know these people from all over the country, um, Guillermo Gonzalez down in Texas, Matt Scotch, uh, Jody Queen, Ron Champion, Jay Wallen, um, several of my very close friends that I've grown to respect, Matt Ball, my gosh, Matt Ball. There's, I, I'm, I mean, I could go on and on. Um, the thing that's so unique about our sport is that, you know, it, I, I'm allowed to be a sponge and just soak up all this knowledge and they're, they're, they're open books of knowledge and resources that they're so, um, they're not reluctant to, to give anything. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. I think that is incredible, especially when you're in the competitive industry. So essentially you're competing against these guys and gals right. at all these tournaments, yeah. and yet they're still <laughs> championing for you. I mean, that's got to feel pretty special, huh? Yeah, it really does. I mean, I uh, I, I remember one, there was one comment, one of, a, a friend of mine that I, I won the Kentucky Lake Tournament, and he said, you know, I wanted you to win this more than I wanted myself to win this tournament. And that was just, that really stuck with me. And, and they meant it, you know, the whole, oh, that whole room stood up and just cheered for me when I, when I won that. And everybody said, you know, the, the guy's wives were saying, I want her to win. I'm sorry. But, you know, everybody just was rooting for me. And it just was that something that I had never experienced something like on that level before, you know, it's like these guys are vying for the title as well. And this is a world's qualifying spot. It's a, a pretty decent chunk of change. And, I think everyone in that room wanted me, wanted it for me more than they wanted it for themselves. So that that level of, you know, sacrificial support and it was just nothing short of amazing. So you qualified for the Worlds uh, and and that is next June. Is that correct? So what what is that? What is that feeling for you now? You're going to have to prepare for this. This this is a whole other level of tournament angling. Yes, it is. It's on the international level. Um, I will be one of, I believe, six or seven people that will represent Team USA for the 2020 Hobie Fishing Worlds. 
And that is another experience that everybody that comes away from that, it's something that it'll change your life. Um, just the camaraderie and the, 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 you know, hospitality of other countries and the anglers. And it's, um, I don't think I'm quite ready for it yet. And it still really hasn't sunk in that I'm going to be actually representing team USA and competing in this. Um, I'm trust me. I, I, uh, I hopefully one day I'll find the right words to explain what that makes me feel. But unfortunately, now is not the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, they, I think they're going to announce here in the next few months where that's going to be in the location. There's been a lot of rumors. I think Brazil has been tossed around out there. So I would uh, love some peacock bass on big walking baits. So we'll see. Um, it'll be exciting for sure, wherever it is. Are there any other ladies that fish on the international, uh, in the international stage that you're aware of? Not that I'm aware of. Um, I know there's there's never been a gal that's ever qualified for Hobie Fishing Worlds, but I'm sure you know. I, I'm sure another. I know there's a. They, they just had a Pan Am, uh, Pan Am Championship in uh, Tennessee, and there were there was a gal or two from Mexico that came up. There was a gal from Canada. I know a few. Actually, know a few gals from Canada that fish, um, not on the national level, but they do their local trails. Um, honestly, at this year at the national championship, I think there were nine or ten gals that were at that big tournament, um, which is kind of our big, big deal uh, every year. And that was more women than I've ever seen at that deal. So it was uh, more and more women are getting into this, and it's incredible to see. I don't know why it's taken so long. There's a lot of factors why you know it's a slow progression for the ladies to be come more in, into the angling, but I love that you can just dive in and be just as competitive. There are the stereotypes out there, but destroying stereotypes every, every single tournament you win and, and, uh, and, you know, you're inspiring people, not only ladies, but men and getting people excited about the sport and getting people excited about being outside. So I don't know, does, I gotta imagine that you feel pretty good about contributing that to society um I don't know I mean I I don't look at it as my I try to try to look at it as, as myself I'm I'm part of a I hope that I can be part of a, a large picture and um I, I definitely don't deserve all the credit there there's been a lot of people that have laid some excellent groundwork and have paved the way well before me and people I've looked up to um it is a, I do feel, like I said, very grateful to have this opportunity to hopefully impact more and um, encourage people to get out, enjoy the outdoors and get into our sport a little bit. Um, it's growing so quickly. Uh, I, it still sounds funny when people say that I'm, I'm part of this movement. It's just doesn't really, hasn't really hit me in that way. Um, I, I'm just grateful to do whatever I can to give back to the community that's given so much to me. Well, I think the movement is, is more it's 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 evolving into one of it's it's just an outdoor movement now i think you know it's a fight against the technologies it's a fight against kids not being outside it's you're i mean it's not just this it's not just a ladies or a men thing anymore it's an everyone outdoors thing so anything you can do to inspire people i think is is positive and not everyone does it the, the same way so mm-hmm. you kind of have to you know, you're doing it the right way, I would say, just based upon the results. So that's that's the way I look at it. Well, thank you. <laughs> I, I certainly hope so. What is uh, what is your favorite fishing story? Do you have a favorite fishing story, one that you tell more than any others? Sometimes it's hard to get put on the spot yeah. because yeah. there's a lot of stories. There's a lot of things that go down. Gosh, I have. I mean, I'm a, I'm a. I could write a book on fishing stories. Um, <laughs> 
I mean, I've had just bizarre stories. I've had stories that would attest to how maybe borderline obsessed, insane I am with this sport. Um, I've had funny stories of all kinds of stuff. Uh, probably the most notable that would be um, three years ago, um, back before the national championship, I was on Jackson's kayak fishing team. And their, one of their marketing directors was a female that had never um, kayak musky fish. And musky fishing has been my actually my, my priority, my main passion um, for a, a long, long, long time. And I've chased musky in a kayak for about eight years now. I have a pretty good amount of experience. I do a lot of uh, tutorial videos on this and the safety and ethics and all of that good stuff. But So she said, hey, can we, after the national championship, would there be a chance that we may be able to go down and do some musky fishing? Um, in Tennessee. And I had actually done some fishing down there and had some success. And so we go and we do this. And I said, okay, look, I, I will have to fly back home. Um, so I, can you provide the net and the tools? And I'll just make sure I bring all my rods and a couple of things of gear. Well, she brought what looked to be like a glorified trout net. I mean, this thing maybe was like 22 inches wide and maybe like 15 inches deep. And I was, I looked at her and I said, what do you think we're going to put in that? And she said, I, that was the biggest thing that I had. And I said, oh boy, this is not good. And so I said, well, we're here. We're just going to roll with it. Um, not to mention there were no tools. And I always have about four or five sets of uh, very specific tools I bring with me in every musky fishing trip. But I thought, you know what? We're here. We're going to do it. There was prefrontal. It was a great moon phase. I knew it probably pretty, pretty productive time to be on the water. So um, about the first two hours in, I hook into about a 45, 46 inch big musky on a, a big uh, Lungeon 22 short crankbait. Uh, I yelled for her and said, hey, I've got one hooked up. And of course, with no net, you know, I, I've had a lot of experience with big toothy fish and it, safely handling them and, and getting them landed. But I, I don't like to do that. So I got my hand under, got the fish somehow next to the boat, was able to quickly get up under the gill raker, grab the bottom part of the fish, had my GoPro running, lift it up, smile for a picture. I always take the bait out of the fish's mouth, but I just, for some reason on this random time, didn't do that. And in a freak movement, the fish made this weird move and rolled. And the back treble hook was in the fish's mouth. The front one, one of the trebles was lodged into my left ring finger. The other treble got my right index finger. So I am stuck to the bone on each of them. The other hook is in the, this thrashing 45 inch fish's mouth. So it's, as it's shaking, I feel like radiating pain all the way up into my, into my shoulder. And I'm screaming at Bridget, um, to come help me out with this. And she had never handled a muskie before my, both of my hands are tied now to this fish. I can't do anything. And I usually fish solo. If I were by myself, I, I honestly don't know. I would have, I don't know what I would have done. I, I don't want to think about that. So she finally gets the fish unhooked, releases the fish. And I'm sitting there with the, I mean, buried so deep into my fingers when, and nothing we can do. Um, the line trick won't work because it's both hands and they're going opposite directions. So me and my stupidity in my youth said, well, we've got a really good moon phase coming up. I'd like to keep fishing. I am not going to the ER. I, I am not a big fan of doctor's offices. So I instructed her to grab um, a, a large musky glide bait with, you know, those big giant hooks on it. And she basically, bless her heart, I made her flay, slowly flay my skin back to get one hook at a time out of my fingers. And 
it was a, I mean, there was like the, the fat of my finger was coming out. It was so bad. And it was probably one of the most painful things that I've ever done. But then I wrapped it up with a piece of shirt, tied it really tight on both hands, and I kept fishing. It was awful. I mean, how stupid is that? <laughs> No. I'm surprised that you got her to do all that on top of it, though. I, I can't know. believe this this heart. gal that just never done it. Yeah, I mean, how cool is that? I mean, she's she's the she's the real hero of this whole thing. You know, I literally made her do that, and she her her face was white, and I I was like, man, I have so much respect for you now because a lot of people probably wouldn't have done that. Uh, so you're tough too. That's a fair statement. Crazy, <laughs> idiotic, tough. I don't know. You can. We can. That's relative. Very good. That's very good. We'll we'll let you make the decision. I guess <laughs> it's a subjective thing. Yeah. That's a great story. Um, do you have any regrets about your where you've gone and making this transition into this uh, into this new life of yours? I personally try not to even think about the word regret. I think that's a really dangerous path to go down. Um, when it comes to, and honestly, the fear of regret is what holds a lot of people back from making the life choice that I made and did the freedom and the, 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 the type of lifestyle that's incredibly rewarding, but it involves a lot of risk. Fear and regret hold a lot of people back. Um, do I regret leaving everything that I knew and kind of diving headfirst into this, a lot of unknowns? No, absolutely not. Um, it's been probably one of the best choices I've ever made and uh, it, it took a lot of courage and a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, having to not even think about, uh, what could be, and you just have to kind of do it. Yeah. And yeah, I, w I wouldn't change a thing. Uh, is there anything you know now that you wish you would have known at the beginning or when you were starting to make this transition? Honestly, I wish I would have made the choice sooner years and years ago, you know, my early twenties instead of my late twenties. Was it even a thought back then, though? Was it in your mind at all, just thinking that way, or did that come later? I always, like I said, I always knew I was I was that person that had all these abilities. Not, you know, I was had a 4.0 and could have literally gone to school to do whatever I wanted, but I didn't. Nothing quite seemed to fit for me. My guidance counselor hated me because she said I was a huge waste of talent. <laughs> and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had no direction in that regard, and I. Uh, I knew that I was going to do something and I just, I couldn't put my finger on it. And I don't think I ever thought that the life that I have now was even possible. And I don't think it was. We didn't have the fishing opportunities that we did 10 years ago. You know, they weren't there. I didn't have fishing in college. I didn't have, there wasn't fishing in high school, at least not in Nebraska. Um, so no, I don't even think it, I don't think it was even an option at that point. Um, but I, I, I just knew, I knew eventually I'd be self-employed. I knew I would do something different. I just didn't know what that was going to be. Um, oh, I have a really good question for you, but it's oh, just, oh my gosh, it's so good. You just wait, it's coming. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, I'm just trying to remember what it is. Um, so what, what are your, what are your future goals? You know, what are your high aspirations now that you, you have this life of, of you know, this for your life, tournament angling, competitiveness, what do you want to, what do you want to accomplish? Um, I think it's a continuation of a goal and that is to, like I said, redefine how females are, are, are represented in the outdoors and fishing specifically. Um, you know, I, I feel like there's just, there's always been a mountain of obstacles and, and doubts, um, with this whole journey I've had, but it feels like I'm getting closer and closer to 
really making a breakthrough here and shaking things up. Um, you have no idea how many women, young women reach out and say how, how much discrimination, how many difficulties they face that they're like, gosh, I don't, you know, they want to quit their high school bass team or they don't want to do it in college because of the, there are so many negative things when it comes to being a female in the sport. And what I want is to make a way for those women to be able to have a platform and a stage and an opportunity to do what they love also. And that would be my ultimate goal is to, you know, cause there's a lot of people that, that don't take women seriously in the sport. That's just the reality of it. And there are a lot of reasons why that is. And I'm hoping to do everything I can with, with all of my power and all of my resources to, to change that in as many people as I can. What advice would you give to young people or, or, Older people who are looking to make a life decision like this, whether it be females or males, would you have advice for them from your experience? Absolutely. Um, like I said, the one thing that holds people back from doing this is fear, fear of failing, fear or fear of uh, or you know not being able to get out of their comfort zone. We are very content being in our comfort zones. It's it's uh, it's something we know. Uh, we we have routine. We have these expectations, and we, we don't have to, to to really venture far from that. And if we don't do that, we're, we don't grow. And I, I really am a firm believer in that. And if we allow fear to kind of bind us, we're not going to reach our untapped potential, and we're not going to make these these crazy and incredible changes in the industry, um, whether whether that be this industry or anything in, in life. Fear and getting out of your comfort zone are the two things that I think are the hardest things for individuals that we probably face and that we need to work on every single day. You have a long career ahead of you, ideally. So how, but how do you want to be remembered by people? Is it as an angler? Is it as an inspirational figure? What is your ultimate legacy that you want to leave behind? And it might be too early to tell, but... I'm just curious if that's something that you've thought about at all. Have you ever read the story, The Velveteen Rabbit? So there is a quote in that book, and it it talks about being real. You know, and when when you're, the fur all kind of rubs off, and it's transparent, and it's real. But that that, that that's it's a really impactful childhood book. Um, and I, I think I just want to be, it's important that people see me as real. With all these platforms out there, it's so it's so easy to decorate your life or to to put yourself out there and paint this picture of everything in this certain type of way, and that that couldn't be farther from the truth. And I think um, my ultimate goal is to share the struggles, the the you know the triumphs, the ups and the downs. And I want people to say, with everything, you know, I'm 100% transparent, I'm genuine, I'm real, and I'm authentic. And I think that I, I hope to embody that within everything that I do. great answer thank you you know crazy enough like you know i've talked we i have done probably 100 podcasts this year alone and you actually hit on i didn't think you'd be able to do it but you found some questions that were very thought-provoking and that i hadn't thought of and i had to answer off the cuff and not have a rehearsed podcast you know mode <laughs> so that was really refreshing for me um i'm actually kind of just an element of shock right now that that was uh that was really good i, I think that we've We've covered it. I was hoping to get one. 
I, I just wanted to get one question that maybe you hadn't gotten I think, before. I think you've gotten two or three. I mean, like I said, I usually, it's, it's, it's so I hate to admit this, but a lot of them are, I almost feel like it's robotic and it's rehearsed. I, I get asked the same questions quite a bit. And this had, I had to really think. And uh, it was, a lot of it was very much off the cuff and fresh. So thank you. And, and so are your answers. It was fresh. That's a good way to put it. I like that. Fresh. You did an awesome job. Thanks for taking the time. Um, and I look forward to following your adventures. And I am expecting an invitation to fish with you and the Workmans uh, this yes, winter. Yes, <laughs> yes. That'll. Be, you want some stories? That's oh, where we're gonna. Baby. That's where we're gonna get the stories. <laughs> Man, we have some fun. Because you know, you ask when you ask people what's your favorite fishing story, it's hard to come up with. For for some reason or another, those happen organically. When, when you do. get when you get around people that you have those stories with, you're like, oh, you remember that time when? Or, gosh, this reminds me of the time I did this and that. And and th- that's when the stories happen. So it is hard to just come up with a story. But I always like to ask it because you never know what people are going to say. Right. But when you when you said we're go- you and the workmen are going to get together, I thought that's all I thought of was like, oh, they're going to tell some awesome stories. Yeah, I don't think you're even ready for that, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm probably not. I will be by the time you guys get together, though. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That'll be a great time.